0: So, our first scripture reading today is from Genesis 2. I will read the verses 5 through 8, followed by verses uh, verse 15. When no plant of the field was yet on the earth, and no vegetation of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then, then the Lord breathed, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord planted a garden in the Eden, uh, in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And then verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to serve it and keep it. Our next uh, New Testament scripture reading is from Romans. This is uh, from chapter 1 verses 19 through 25 For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them Ever since the creation of the world God's eternal power and divine nature invisible though they are have been seen and understood through the things God has made So they are without excuse for they they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless hearts were darkening claiming to be wise they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling immortal human, or birds, or four footed animals, or reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the desires of the hearts uh, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And our sermon text today is from Exodus. One verse, Exodus 3, verse 12. He, being God, said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. All right, so we are uh, still in the book of Exodus. Uh, so for those who have missed a few weeks, uh, we're, we're, we we're have not moved on to another book. Uh And last week, uh, just a little bit of recap about where we've been, we looked at this very difficult and mysterious passage about the name of Yahweh, and we discussed what the name Yahweh means. And the main point that I tried to make was that the name Yahweh is is to be understood within the context of Moses' prophetic call. Uh, Yahweh was meant to give legitimacy to Moses' call to the Israelites. But the name does more than that. Uh, It also reveals key information about Moses' mission and how it will be fulfilled. The name Yahweh communicates to Moses and the people of God that God can do whatever he wants to do. I will be what I will be. And there is an openness and an indefiniteness about God. And that means that God is a God of possibility and therefore hope things don't have to stay the way they are. And it also communicates the name Yahweh also communicates that God is active and that the relationship between himself and his people is open and that a view of the future, uh, and, and the future is always in views, and so that means that relationship is based on uh, a really churchy word we use all the time, faith. Um, it is a relationship that, as we talked about, is best described by Philip's words to, about Jesus to Nathaniel, come and see. And so today we are still working through this prophetic call scene to Moses. Uh, The Call of Moses is actually a really, really long episode in this verse, uh, in this book. Um, It stretches from Exodus 3, 1 to 4, 17. Uh, It's one of the longest single passages in Exodus. But our focus today is just going to be on this one verse, this one single verse. And the reason we're going to spend a whole sermon on this verse is because this verse contains a really crucial and what I also think is a really practical concept that is going to be developed as Exodus continues. So it's going to be important that we understand this verse so we can understand the message of uh, Exodus more fully, which is really sad for all the people who aren't here this week. So you guys are the chosen ones. You will learn uh, to understand Exodus so much better. But let's uh, turn our attention to this verse. Uh, We remember uh, God is calling Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses is understandably daunted by this, uh, this charge. He objects. After all, Moses is a fugitive from justice. He's disconnected from his own people. He's living as a simple shepherd in the desert. And I would imagine, you know, uh, being a shepherd's kind of a tough job, but being a shepherd in the desert, even tougher. Moses' life is about as far from the great Egyptian empire and its incredibly fertile Nile Valley, Nile Valley as you can get. Uh, So, uh, you know, what we want to do here is think, uh, you want to think Luke Skywalker on Tatooine or uh, Harry Potter living under the Dursley stairs uh, to give you some kind of modern idea about what's being communicated here. Uh, God reassures Moses that he will be with him and he offers him a sign. Uh, we talked a little bit about this sign last week, but I want to look at one particular aspect. So here, here's what's going on. Moses is going to bring the people out of Egypt, and they will serve God on this mountain. So, so here we have God promising Moses three things. God's going to be with Moses, God's going to bring the people out of Egypt, and the people will serve God now, what we are going to do in this sermon is focus on the last of these promises, because what we're going to see is really serving God is the end goal here. God is with Moses, so Moses can bring the people out of Egypt, and the people are brought out of Egypt to serve God on the mountain. That is the main goal here. As we read Exodus, we learn that that's exactly what happens. So spoiler alert, okay? I don't know if I need to give a spoiler alert for something that's 3,200 years old, but, you know. God is going to successfully bring the people out of Egypt, and they're going to travel back to this mountain, which we know uh, more familiarly as Mount Sinai. And uh, he's going to uh, uh, deliver uh, a, a, a large part of the next part of Exodus. is going to happen there. Uh, God's going to make a covenant with the Israelites. He's going to give the, uh, the uh, Israelites the Ten Commandments, along with a bunch of other laws. And in the end, uh, the people will, at the book of Exodus, the people are still going to be at Mount Sinai. In fact, uh, just to give you a big view here, the people remain at Mount Sinai Uh, uh, from uh, Exodus 19, through the entire book of Exodus, all the way to chapter 40. Then, there's the book of Leviticus. Okay, that's the book you skip over, but still, you know. uh, The whole book of Leviticus takes place at Sinai. And they don't move until, like, the 10th chapter of Numbers. So there's a huge part of the Torah... That is, is, is set right here at Sinai. So when it says that, when God says, I'm going to bring you back to this mountain to serve, okay, that's actually a pretty big deal. We, we kind of just are like, oh, cool, yes, I got it, serve, mountain, right? But it's actually a pretty big deal because the whole central part of the Torah takes place in Mount Sinai. So... Moses and the Israelites returning to this mountain to serve God is amazingly consequential to the book of Exodus, and it's even central to the entire Torah itself. So, the question then is, what is it that the people are doing at Mount Sinai that takes up such a large and central chunk here? Well, they're serving God. Now, serve is the translation my, uh, my uh, tr- uh, Bible uses. Does anyone have a different word other than to serve? Anybody? Worship. Yes. What you got? Worship. Worship. What's your translation? The uh, New Living. The New Living. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? New worship. worship. Yeah. What's your translation? NIV. NIV. Yeah. So, so um, the ESV, the KJV, the RSV, they all use Serve. The NIV and the NASV and apparently the New Living all use the word worship. So what's going on here? Well, you know what that means. Word study time. Uh, so the Hebrew word that's being used here is avad. Okay. And it actually means three things. There's there's three primary meanings of the word avad. It means serve, work, or worship. Uh, and, and so all of those translations, all of your translations are, like, totally acceptable. Serve and worship are, are pretty much interchangeable. Um, in, in, in other words, in the Hebrew mind, serve, work, and worship are equivalent concepts. And so, really, basically, I've given you the whole point of the sermon, okay? that This is basically what we're going to talk about, the equivalency of work and worship. So, if you think you've got that figured out, I guess you can leave that. But, uh I'm going to go into something a little um, a little bit more detail about this idea. Now, there's several, something else that's super interesting about the use of this word Avad in Exodus, okay? So Avad, remember again, it can mean worship, work, or serve. Totally fine to use all of those. Now, our verse today, 312, that we're looking at, is not the first time that we've come across this word Avad. Uh, in fact, we find Avad in chapter one in both, in both verses 13 and 14. And there what it's used is to describe how the Israelites were made, were forced to serve or Avad the Egyptians. Okay. So their slavery is being described in terms of service or work, Avad. And so that kind of makes sense. You can see how that's, that, that, that would follow, um, but let's follow the logic of the story here because we know these repeated words in Hebrew, that's like super important. They're all like, uh, you know, I think I've used the term hyperlinks. You know, they should be like a little outline of blue, like on the Wikipedia page. You know, when you see them repeated, you're supposed to pay attention to them because they're super important. Now, follow the logic then. The Israelites begin the story in chapter one, serving the Egyptians. They were made to serve the Egyptians. In chapter three, Moses promise that the Israelites would be brought out of Egypt to serve God. Now, I just made the point that the whole goal of the Israelites being freed is that they can serve God. So what that means is that what Moses is meant to accomplish is not simply the liberation of the people, but it's a transfer of service from Pharaoh to God. That is the logic of the story here that uh, the word avad being used in these two circumstances is trying to get us to see. The point of the Exodus is about changing service from Pharaoh to God. Now, as we all know at this point, if we want to understand Exodus, and I, I'm, I'm sad that I don't have Caden here because Caden would be able to answer my question really quick. If we want to understand Exodus, we need to read Exodus in light of Genesis, right? So it turns out that Genesis also makes use of this word avad in some really interesting and important ways. And so, you know, again, think about the hyperlinks here, you know. Uh, what, what, not only are we seeing this link between uh, God's uh, promise to, to Moses that he's going to bring about uh, to this mountain to serve him and Pharaoh and the forced servitude of the Israelites, But there's also a link back to Genesis. Now, let's uh, look at how uh, avat is used in Genesis. So um, if we look at that, we learned something really key about this transfer of service from Pharaoh to God. Let's go back to our passage from Genesis chapter 2 that we started uh, off with, okay? So if you look at that passage, what we read is that God makes the heavens and earth, cool, uh, but then it says there's a problem. No vegetation was growing because God had not caused it to rain. And there was no one to serve the ground. Now, the, the translation I read used the word till. Okay? Uh, you know, we talked about how Hebrew, they use words in really creative ways. But if you were, you know, that's the word avad. That's served, to work, uh, the ground. Okay? So um, that's the problem. God solves this problem by forming a human and breathing into the human, the breath of life. Okay, so if I want to, if I want to have creation, if I want to have uh, uh, vegetation growing, I need someone to to work the ground, and so I create a human. And then in verse fifteen, the humans placed in the garden, and it says specifically to serve and to guard it. Okay, serve. There, there's your word of God again. So to sum up, Genesis two. Uh, It has this picture of creation. Creation is incomplete because there's no one to serve it. And so God forms a human and charges the human to serve and guard that creation. So the point here is that humans had this really defined purpose in Genesis that goes back right at the beginning. They were created for the service, the avod, the work of protection and creation. And if we go on uh, through the rest of the uh, Torah, and we get to Leviticus, we find that these same two words, to serve and guard, are, get, are used of the priest. So uh, God uh, initiates the priesthood, and the priest role was to guard and serve the tabernacle. Okay? so. We can begin to see, you know, if you're starting to like follow along here, if you're you're picking up what I'm laying down, you're starting to see this connection between service and worship. Okay. The priests were charged with leading the Israelites to the worship of God. The tabernacle was where they served. And in a way that I've talked about in other other sermons uh, in Sunday school, the tabernacle was a representation of creation. It was supposed to be a miniature picture of the cosmos. And so the uh, priests were to serve and guard the tabernacle just as the human was to serve and guard the garden in Genesis 2. It's really the same thing. And so we see that this work and worship are kind of tied together, this idea of service, of work and worship of creation. In other words, this is what it looks like to worship God. It's to to work and serve the creation. Uh, Because that is fulfilling God's purpose for humanity. That's what the human was created for. And so you see all these ideas are being taken together. And so that's what I mean by like the idea that this word avad that's used here in Exodus is kind of like a really important hyperlink that's connecting these ideas together. So let's take this back to the story of Exodus. Now, the reason that the slavery of the Israelites was bad was because what Pharaoh was doing was preventing the Israelites from serving creation, from avoiding creation. Instead, they were evading him. They were serving him. By oppressing the Israelites, the Israelites could not do what they were supposed to do, which was to bring life, abundance, and flourishing to the earth that God had intended for creation. That's what God created uh, the creation for, so, so that it could be abundant, so it can flourish, so they can have life. That's like what all that talk about like uh, in, the, in Genesis about like, being fruitful and multiplying and filling in the earth, okay? So when God sent Moses to bring the Israel out of Egypt, the plan wasn't simply to free them. It was to free them so that they could fulfill their purpose to which they had been calling been called uh, for in the world. to serve God rather than to serve Pharaoh, so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, In them, just as God had promised their ancestor Abraham. So you should see it like a lot of ideas being tied together here in this story that starts in Genesis, goes through Abraham, and ends up in Exodus. Um, So humans were created with a responsibility, and that responsibility was a delegation, delegated power that was given to them by God to function as a wise steward of creation. As God's image, humans were God's vice regents. They were his ambassadors into this world, using their power to reflect God's own wise rule. That is the purpose of people. That is why we're here. And now we know, of course, that the history of the world, as it turns out, is much, much different than that. Uh, Basically, the story in in the Bible does not hide this from it. From us, uh, humans abused this power that was given to them. They have taken their position uh, as vice regent, as, as ruler, and they have uh, distorted uh, that and used it for their own selfish desires, uh, unleashing exploitation, oppression, and death into the world. Exactly the opposite of what they were intended for, and we've seen this uh, this process quite clearly in the story of Pharaoh. And we showed uh, in the first few sermons how Pharaoh is really kind of replaying some earlier stories that we read about in Genesis. You know, particularly we looked at at Pharaoh and how the language is recalling uh, the Babel story in Genesis 11. So again, you can see all these uh, really interesting hyperlinks uh, about how the uh, process is, uh, the story is being unfolded. So Now we begin to see this connection with Genesis. Service to creation is the goal for humanity and God's chosen people, the Israelites. And this goal that is promised by God, it is this goal that is promised by God to Moses in Exodus 3.12, in our verse. We can call this our work. We call this our service. We can call this our worship of God. It's all the same. It's all that same word, avad. They're all equivalent. It's the same concept here. Um, However... While that's the purpose, and that's like a really interesting and good point here, I think also for us to really understand what's going on here, I think it's really important for us to talk about uh, uh, what this is not, okay? It is not simply about the uh, Israelites escaping to a better place. Israel will be taken to a place that flows with milk and honey, but that's not ultimately the goal. It's not simply about taking them out of Egypt so they can live a better and more moral life in contrast to the Egyptians by obeying a list of rules. Israel is going to be given uh, the Ten Commandments and all these uh, these, uh, commands and rules, but that is also not the goal. Both are true, but both are a means to an end. And the end is what we've, talked, what we've been talking about. is service to God by fulfilling our purpose in creation, bringing abundance, flourishing, and life to creation, just like God does. Um, and the difference between these means and ends is really important. We need to keep these straight because I think a lot of times what we do uh, in the church is we read something that's a means and we turn it into an end and of itself. And the problem is we reduce and truncate and we make our vision of what should be our vision of our place in creation, we make it too small. Now, uh, to introduce this point, uh, as all good sermons do, we must, uh, we must uh, illustrate this using an amusing anecdote. Okay, so here's your amusing anecdote. So there's a group of uh, Boy Scouts. Three Boy Scouts are late to their meeting. And so the Scoutmaster asks, why are they so late? And they uh, say, we've got a really good excuse. We were helping an old lady across the street. And the scoutmaster says, that's great. But like, it, you're like half an hour late. That's, uh, it shouldn't take that long to help an old lady across the street. And they say, well, she didn't want to go. So the point here is that the scouts had confused the means with the ends. The scouts should help old ladies across the street, but that is just a means, that is just one possible way to fulfill the other, the, the higher goal of helping other people. Now, it's important to make this point because it's going to shape how we read both the escape from Egypt and also the giving of the law of Sinai. We need to see both of those as means and not ends of themselves. Uh, we need to understand the larger goal about what Israel has been called to. So, how does this relate to us? We're not ancient Israelites uh, living under slavery in uh, Egypt. Well, we need to see that we as the church are being called for the same purpose, to serve God. Like the Israelites, we are charged, as those created in the image of God, to use our power to do the same thing that humans were, were called for. We are called to serve and guard the creation. Uh, we serve the creation by doing what God did for creation, by bringing abundance, flourishing, and life into the world. That is our work. That is how we serve God. That is how we worship God. That's why it's important to see those two as equivalent. And so too often we are taught and we are accepted and we accept a more limited view of our purpose. We were not created so one day we can escape from this earth and go to heaven. That's not our point. Just as the Israelites were freed from Egypt uh, not just to be freed, but to serve God, Christ frees us to serve God. Just as the Israelites journey to the uh, land flowing in milk and honey, we join to the we journey toward the new heaven and new earth to fulfill our ultimate purpose. And that is not about escape, but about renewing our purpose in creation. Okay, now we have also not been chosen. We are not set aside as the church. We don't. Uh, we have not been saved uh, through Christ just to follow a moral code and show we're better than everyone else. Uh, There's not just any more than the Israelites weren't supposed to uh, just obey a list of commands. Just with Israel, the law is a means uh, to the larger goal of fulfilling our purpose of serving God. And again, that purpose is to bring abundance, flourishing, and life into the world. That's what the law is supposed to uh, help us be about. It's just like uh, in the scout story. Uh, You know, help old ladies across the street. Good. Good. But that's actually part of the bigger picture of helping other people at all times. Uh, That's what's really important when we read the... It's going to be really important when we start studying the law code uh, in Exodus. So if that's not the point, then what is the... How does sin fit in this whole picture? Okay, so sin's like a really big deal. And I've just told you like it's not about like moral codes or like going to heaven, which is like the wages or going to hell because the wages of sin. Uh, The Bible seems to make a really big deal about that. How does this fit in? And that's a really good question. And I think the answer to that um, is uh, found in our New Testament reading for Romans. Um, I think this passage in Romans actually helps us bring a lot of these ideas together. Uh, because it shows us uh, some of it kind of repeats some of these same ideas just in a different way more like a way that we're used to you know on one hand in Nexus we have this ancient story about like pharaohs and slavery and stuff like that and then in Romans we have like this uh, you know more theological more abstract idea that we're you know frankly as moderns more comfortable with but In the passage that we read, Paul Paul begins by reassuring his hearers that God is indeed aware of the injustices of the world. Uh, Just as with the Israelites, God has heard, seen, and knows the cries of the oppressed. And because of his commitment to his creation, God is moved to act. Now, here's the part that is uh, interesting to our question. Look at verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God... For images resembling mortal man and bird and animals and creeping things. So what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about false worship. He's talking about false gods. He's talking about what uh, the Bible talks a lot about. You know, this is another biblical word, churchy word, idolatry. That's what he's talking about. And what Paul describes is the form that it took in the first century A.D., Now, in our time, that's not what we do. We don't usually worship, like, uh, you know, uh, dog-headed gods or something like that. Uh, But in our times, it's we worship uh, idols like uh, money, power, and sex are the big ones, okay? So, same idea, though. Uh, And what Paul is describing is this process for how humans reject their purpose in creation by worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Okay, that's what it's talking about. The the process describes humans shifting their allegiance from fulfilling God's purpose to serving forces that have no business being in control. Again, those are forces like, uh, you know, what we would say the big idols in our time, money, power, and sex. And this is what sin leads to. Sin isn't simply a failure to obey a set of rules. It is that. Uh, it is about leading to the far bigger problem, of idolatry, because under idolatry, you have rejected God's purposes. And when you have reject God's purposes, you adopt a new ruler whose purpose is the opposite of that of God. You are, in fact, like the Israelites. You have been enslaved to a foreign hostile power. That's what, what happens with sin. And so rather than leading to a world based on God's rule of prosperity of abundance in life, it is a world uh, based on Pharaoh's rule of exploitation, oppression, and death. And so in the Exodus, Moses is called to free the Israelites from the service to Pharaoh and bring them to the service of God. God has not freed them simply to escape Egypt or so that they can properly obey the law. Likewise, Christ has freed us from the service of the forces of sin and death, not so we can live strictly moral lives or so we can escape this world and go to heaven, but so that we can live in life in a service to him. And, and what I like to do is I was thinking about, like, okay, well, h- how can we really understand this? And I think, uh, you know, think about this from the standpoint of a parent and a child, right? Okay, if, if we're, you know, what I would say, if we're, we're good parents, I guess, uh, we, don't re- we don't teach, raise, and nurture our children so someday they can leave, just so someday they can leave the house. We can get them out of the house, right? I mean, like, you know, we want them to be independent, that's part of the goal. Uh, sometimes they, you know, they eat a lot of food, so you know we like to uh, save money that way. But uh, that's not really our goal. Neither do we teach, raise, and nurture our children so that they can be acceptable, good little boys, right? Uh, boys and girls. It's true that we want them to live lives of honesty and integrity. That we try to teach them morals. However, ultimately, our goal is for our children to develop their gifts so that they can be productive, so that they can use their gifts and creativity to lead to a better world. That's what we want to do. We teach them morality, we teach them independence, but that is not part of the overall goal. Our overall goal is so they can be uh, happy, f- flourishing, you know, productive humans. Uh, freedom and morality are just means to that end. They're part of that goal. And that's the point of this sermon here. Because what I want us to do is I want to expand our vision of what our purpose is. We need to embrace this bigger vision. Christ has freed us. Uh, He has freed us from idolatry. He's freed us from the uh, forces of sin and death. And we are no longer enslaved and serve those powers. And that's great. Yet, we have been freed for a greater purpose. Not to bemoan the world around us until we die and go to heaven. That's not the Christian life. Nor is it to follow a set of rules so that we can prove how morally superior we are to everyone else. Instead, we are meant to fully accept our calling as the image of God. We are to be the full humans that God has created us to be. We are to use our power and our gifts to reflect God's love, mercy, and kindness in the world. To do all those kind of things that Jesus modeled when Jesus showed us what the kingdom of God looks like. All those things in the Gospels. And so, ultimately, the point of this sermon here is what does worship look like? And according to Exodus, it looks like service. It looks like work. Worshiping God means serving him. And that means using the power that is given to us to bring abundance, flourishing, and life to the world. And as I uh, like to end so many of my sermons, that's what it looks like when we practice resurrection.